Hey everybody, welcome to Where the Fuck Are We? I'm Kevin Janis. I'm Benari Poulton. And if you didn't know, we're now on Stitcher, as well as SoundCloud and iTunes. There are more ways than ever to hear us. We also have clips of our show playing on Progressive Voices on TuneIn and on 980 WCAP, where everybody gets it. And just what the fuck is Where the Fuck Are We? It's the foreign affairs show that asks the three most important questions for Americans. Where the fuck are we? Why the fuck are we there? And what the fuck does it have to do with me? And who the fuck are we? Barry, tell them who we are! Benari Poulton is a writer and comedian, an adjunct professor at Cal State Fullerton, and a master sergeant in the U.S. Army Reserve, where he is affectionately known as G.I. Jew. Kevin Janis, in addition to being a very funny comedian and writer himself, is a fancy New York-based litigator, a Canadian, and like all Canadians, an expert at being foreign. Thanks, Barry. As always, the opinions I express here are my own and in no way reflect those of the U.S. Army, the U.S. government, or anyone official in any way. All right, Benari, so where the fuck are we this time? Well... Because you, our loyal listeners, demanded it. We're in the country at the heart of one of the weirdest mysteries of the year. Malaysia! Malaysian invasion! Malaysian invasion! Dude, that song is so bad. Yeah, you sent it to me. You asked for it, you're getting it. But of course, uh, and we'll get into all the reasons why Malaysia's insane. But the reason you all wanted us to talk about Malaysia is because of the missing plane. And... Obviously, naturally, our thoughts and prayers are with everyone who have been affected by this tragedy, especially the the, the families. Absolutely. Uh, but like everyone in the world who's been watching Malaysia's bungled response to this tragedy. Which has been terrible and a little surprising to the world, considering the world's impression of Malaysia is as this booming uh, Southeast Asian economy. So we're left with the question, what the fuck is up with the Malaysian government? Before we can even begin to unravel that mystery, we should probably put all of this in the proper context of history. But quickly, like a sports highlight reel. That's right, this ain't history. This is the Blitzery! 1.8 million years ago, evidence suggests that prehistoric cavemen Rome, this land in Southeast Asia. And a 40,000-year-old skull shows the earliest signs of human habitation in what is now known as Malaysia. 1,000 B.C. The proto-Malays settle here and by the first millennium of the Common Era, the Malays dominate. Buddhism and Hinduism spread through the area dubbed the Golden Peninsula. Between the 7th and 13th century, trade is the name of the game under the rule of the Buddhist Srivijaya Empire. And here comes Islam, pounding its way up the field under the newly formed Malacca Sultanate. Its reign will last just under a century, but the Malacca Sultanate sets the standard for Malay culture. The kingdom's control of the Malacca Strait helps it absolutely dominate the China-Indian maritime trade. Over the next few centuries, trade wars keep the Malay states busy. Until 1826, when the British established protectorates over the Malay Sultanates of the peninsula. 1857, Kuala Lumpur settlement is established by Chinese tin miners. WW2, the Japanese occupy the area. But by the end of the war, it's back, 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 back
The British-ruled territories are unified under the Federation of Malaya in 1948. And they break away from the Brits in 1957. 1963. Another loss for the Brits, as Sabah, Sarawak, and Singapore join the independent Malayan territories to form the Federation of Malaysia. But they can't hold on to all of them and it's so long Singapore in 1965. It's civil and economic unrest for the next few decades, with ethnic clashes between the Indian, Chinese, and Malay citizens. 1981, Mahathir Mohammed is elected Prime Minister. And he could go all the way! Under his watch, Malaysia is transformed into a major industrial power, enjoying economic and architectural growth right through the 90s. The Petronas Twin Towers stand among the world's tallest buildings. The end of the 90s and the global economic downturn hits Malaysia hard, with ethnic and religious tensions flaring up again. And political scandals rock Malaysia in the first part of the 21st century. Don't forget corruption! Which brings us to today. Malaysia's current leadership is under fire for their bumbling, stumbling, fumbling handling of the missing Malaysian airline. Who knows what the future will hold for Malaysia? But you'll hear about it right here first on The Blitzstreak. You know, there were no Mongols in this Blitzstreak. No, no, but the, don't worry, the Mongols are coming. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I was getting concerned. So basically, uh, before all of this, all I really knew about Malaysia uh, was that it was a very interesting uh, country, certainly one of the most vibrant economies in uh, Southeast Asia. And the food, roti chanai is one of my favorite dishes ever. It's so ethnically diverse. It's it's got a majority Muslim population and as a Chinese minority. And what's really interesting is that it's an economically dominant ethnic minority. So you actually knew like facts about Malaysia going into this. Because uh, everything I knew about Malaysia going into this uh, came from Zoolander. I've tried bribes. I've tried gifts. I even sent him some pet oxen. I mean, they love that crap in Malaysia, but he won't budge. Listen, 50% of my inventory is manufactured in sweatshops on the Malaysian border. Something has got to be done. By killing the Prime Minister of Malaysia! He is bad! Derek, you saved the Prime Minister of Malaysia! Oh, right! Cool! <laughs> Which, it turns out, isn't all that factual, I guess. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's factual. <laughs> well, look, I'm looking at Malaysia on a map right now, and it's so weird, it's literally split in two by the South China Sea. Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's like, it almost looks like it's two continents. And then you got Singapore right at the tip of, of the, the peninsula, which is part of the land, but a completely different country now. Before they slammed it all together, Malaysia was just a bunch of little states kept together by whoever was running the trade there. Oh, well, the Strait of Malacca is essential to trade. I mean, it's a huge shipping lane. It's always been crucial to Malaysia's success, but you know, I was going to ask you, because you seem to know so much more about Malaysia than I do. <laughs> oh, uh, on the news, especially CNN, we're hearing so much about Malaysia because of this missing plane, but we haven't actually heard anything about Malaysia that helps us understand Malaysia. I don't know why that is, although actually I, I guess I, I probably do know why that is. Uh, yeah. I, it's just way more fun and sexy to talk about crazy plane conspiracies. The plane conspiracies have been phenomenal. You have that, you have the lost conspiracy theory. 
Right, you got the Bermuda Triangle. You got the two Iranians with fake passports. As every day there's a new conspiracy, and I thought we had hit rock bottom, and then we broke out the sledgehammer and just kept on digging. <laughs> well, you know that they've been on 24 hours a day for weeks on end now when the missing plane conspiracy suddenly involves Pitbull and Shakira. Yeah, this one is, of all the conspiracies, this one makes the least sense, but it's probably my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's how it goes, all right? It's very, 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 very profound and well-researched. Pitbull and Shakira's song, Get It Started, apparently predicted the missing Malaysian flight. But you don't have to take our word for it. Just listen to Pitbull. No, I leave no Frasier. But from there, I was off to Malaysia. <laughs> two passports, three cities, two countries, one day. Get it, man? Two passports. <laughs> He's got two fake passports, just like the two fake passports on the plane. And Malaysia? He's going to Malaysia? It all fits, man. Yeah, he totally was not just desperately looking for a rhyme for Frasier. You try yeah, to rhyme and, Frasier. And I'm sure that uh, he was making some sort of reference to two stolen passports and not the fact that he needed two passports because he's bringing Shakira along. <laughs> I, I don't think Pitbull could be any clearer uh, in his lyrics about the fact that he's just trying to bang Shakira in that song. But, you know, sure, other conspiracy stuff, too. And I love how they try to turn Muhammad Ali into some kind of reference to the mysterious Mr. Ali. Which was totally fake, by the way. Yeah, it completely turned out to not even be the Iranian guy's name. The sad part is this insane conspiracy makes about as much sense as whatever other bullshit the Malaysian government has been pumping out over the last couple of weeks. Oh, my God. Yeah, by now, everyone has heard about how badly the Malaysian authorities have bungled this investigation. It's been so bad that I think Australia is like, we're taking over now. We're, we're going to head up this <laughs> oh, investigation. Oh, yeah, the world. <laughs> I'm surprised everyone hasn't said, look, we'll take over. Just please. No one's criticizing the fact that they haven't found the plane. No, because, no, no. Got to be clear on that. But the Malaysian response to this has been a disaster. Yeah, it's not the results. It's the process. Critics say the Malaysians are constantly giving conflicting accounts, holding back on information, can't control the flow of information. These poor families, they're, they're hanging on every word. Every time they throw a press conference, they think they're getting answers, and then it just gets more confusing. And you can't play with people like that. Here's a key question, okay? That needs to be answered. Why is this happening? Who are these guys? Who are these Malaysian leaders? And what the hell is going on? So here's one theory. Analysts say part of the problem could be cultural. There's been one coalition governing Malaysia for decades. Its leaders not used to being challenged. They haven't had to account for themselves in the ways that they have to now in the glare of international publicity. So this is an autocratic regime that's been basically able to do and say whatever they want for decades. And they've never been called to task for it. And from what I've seen in our research, they've been getting away with murder for years. Benari, did you say murder? Yes. And when I say murder, I mean literally they've been actually getting away with murder. Malaysian Prime Minister Najib Razak got himself mixed up with an actual murder. An unsolved murder. Many believe it's unsolved because of the prime minister's involvement. Look, Kevin, you're the lawyer here, so break it down for us, Matlock. <laughs> oh, my God. It's such a complicated case, and it's straight out of a bad Pulp Fiction, okay? So I'm going to do my best. But in October 2006, the 
gruesome remains of a human body, okay, are found in a jungle clearing outside Kuala Lumpur. DNA evidence revealed that the victim was a 28-year-old Mongolian fashion model named Altantuya Sharibu, who had been romantically involved with one of Prime Minister Najib's closest advisors, uh, whose name was Abdul Baginda. Altantuya became the subject of one of Malaysia's most high-profile crimes, found murdered in a jungle clearing in 2006. So before her murder, Altantuya had traveled with Prime Minister Najib, who was then the defense minister, and his advisor, Baginda, okay, on a trip to Paris to buy submarines for Malaysia's Navy. And that deal was worth about well over a billion dollars. Some put it at $2 billion. So the French have started investigating, and it looks like the defense company gave over $100 million to Baginda as a commission. And a, it's cor- a pretty nice commission. It, pretty sweet, right? And according to witnesses at her murder trial... Baginda broke things off with Altantuya. She was pissed off, basically a woman scorned situation, and she demanded a $500,000 cut for her services as a translator. The Mongolian national had allegedly been hounding Baginda to pay off his debt to her. So the night of her death, Altantuya shows up at Baginda's house, and she is then abducted by two police officers who also just happened to be the prime minister's bodyguards. Well, that's convenient. She's shot twice, and then she's blown up with C4. Jesus Christ! (laughs) Oh my God. Now, they convicted those police officers, though, right? So what about Baginda? Surprise, surprise. The high court acquitted Baginda. But not before a private investigator that Baginda had hired filed a declaration in court basically saying that Prime Minister Najib and his wife organized and covered up the murder including sending a text message to Baginda after his arrest. And this is what the Prime Minister's text allegedly said. I am seeing IGP at 11 a.m. today. Matter will be solved. Be cool. Wait, he said be cool in his text? Oh, my God. Yeah. So they should. So they have evidence to nail him, right? So how does he not get convicted? Because the very next day after the private investigator submitted that declaration... He replaced it with a brand new one that deleted all references to the prime minister. And then the private investigator fled the country. Fuck yeah, he fled the country. I'd be out of there too. I mean, Jesus Christ. The last person who knew anything about what the prime minister did ended up blown up with C4. So, uh, you know, get the fuck out of there and stay alive. Yeah, well, uh, I have bad news for you on that front. It's the latest twist in one of the biggest political scandals to rock Malaysia. Former private investigator P. Balasubramaniam has sworn on the Hindu holy book that his first statutory declaration in 2008 that contained controversial claims about the murder of Altantuya Sharibu was in fact true. Now he's returned to Malaysia from India. I swear on this holy book. SD number one is the true SD. Why would he go back? The man who shocked the nation with his controversial claims about the murder of a Mongolian woman called Altantuya has passed away this afternoon. Former private investigator P. Balasubramaniam apparently suffered a heart attack. And now he's dead. Well, apparently by natural causes. Very natural. He, he, naturally, he naturally passed away at just the right time that he couldn't bring evidence against Najib. You know, this... This actually explains a lot about the current fucked up response to the plane investigation. If 
Najib has been getting away with actual murder for years, <laughs> and and no one said anything about it. Uh, I don't think you're going to sweat a little international pressure about a plane full of Chinese strangers. Oh, you should listen listen to this clip of Najib in the heat of the murder investigation. I'm very relaxed about it. As you can see, I'm still smiling. Uh, I'm not worried because uh, the truth will prevail. And I believe in the system. I believe that uh, I've not done anything wrong. So therefore, there's nothing to be worried about. Life uh, goes on as usual. As far as I'm concerned, it is business as usual. Okay? Why should I be investigated? Give me one good reason. The police have investigated the entire Altuntuya case, so they know everything. Give me one good reason why I should be investigated? Oh, and his bodyguards, who were convicted and sentenced to hang, they were acquitted too. So you have eight years of a murder investigation, and nobody is held accountable for the most high-profile murder in Malaysian history. Nobody. Nobody. And thus concludes this episode's segment of Dial Malaysia for murder. Yeah, Jesus. It sounds like Raymond Chandler's writing the storylines for Malaysia. Sex, murder, corruption. Did you say corruption? This next story may come as a surprise, or at least I found it surprising. The country where businesses are most likely to accept a bribe, Malaysia. Which basically makes it, according to perceptions, a worse country than places like India, uh, Egypt, Morocco, Senegal, China, and even Indonesia, nearby Indonesia, which doesn't have a fantastic reputation when it comes to uh, clean business or um, corruption. I feel like we wandered into the plot of Chinatown. Malaysia... (laughs) is the Chinatown of the world. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. It's Malaysia town. And we've barely even started. Yeah, even the former Malaysian Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamad weighed in last year about the corruption. Of course, there is a lot of talk about corruption in Malaysia. I wouldn't deny there is corruption, but it is not at a level that will stop development. But these uh, general uh, reports that the government is totally corrupt, that is not correct. Okay, yeah, no, corruption, not a big deal. It's just Malaysia. There's corruption, but it's not that big a deal. Again, I stress, Malaysia is one of the most vibrant economies and has been uh, uh, for decades in Southeast Asia. And the guy who was considered the, the man who turned Malaysia into this regional economic power was Dr. Uh, Mahathir Mohamed when he was the prime minister. In your 22 years in administration, you turned Malaysia from a pre-industrial country that relied mainly on exports of raw materials into industrialized country, uh, which brought, you developed services, industries, tourism, and that brought about the physical change in the country as well. It's a real contrast to the insanity of from what we've seen and heard from the current Malaysian government, right? Absolutely. There's only one little problem with Dr. Mahathir Mohamed, but I'll let him tell you about it in his own words. The Europeans killed 6 million Jews out of 12 million. But today the Jews rule this world by proxy. They get others to fight and die for them. They invented socialism, communism, human rights and democracy so that persecuting them would appear to be wrong so they may enjoy equal rights with others. With this, they have now gained control of the most powerful countries and they, this tiny community, have become a world power. Oh my God! 
And that's something he said in 2003 while he was still Prime Minister of Malaysia. In case you think that's just what he thought in 2003, in 2010, he said that the Holocaust failed as a final solution. Hey man, he stays on point and he stands by everything he says. Here he is on the BBC. He went on to say, but the Jews have become arrogant and arrogant people like angry people will make mistakes and there may be a window of opportunity for us. Uh, I'm stating facts. I'm willing to say that again and again that this is what has happened. Anti-Semitic and racist, that was called well, by many governments and people around the world. This idea about anti-Semitism is created by the Jews themselves. We cannot say anything. In fact, journalists have been arrested for saying something against the Holocaust and jail for three years. Where is the freedom of press? So those words I quoted, in your view, are not anti-Semitic? No, they are not anti-Semitic. I'm just quoting facts. The fact is that the United States obeys what Israel wants it to do. He's not anti-Semitic, he's just stating facts. And this is the guy who turned Malaysia around and created their vision for the future. This completely changes my entire perception of Zoolander now. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Will Ferrell was right all along. Prime Minister of Malaysia, he's bad. <laughs> all right, another fun fact about Dr. Mahathir. He's the guy who first threw Anwar Ibrahim in jail back in the 90s. Right now, people might have heard of Anwar Ibrahim uh, because he's the leader of the opposition party and he's Najib's main challenger right now. Yeah, and Mahathir Mohammed threw him in jail uh, in the 90s for corruption and sodomy. <laughs> of course, because in case we haven't mentioned it, uh, it's basically illegal to be gay in Malaysia. Now, Anwar used to be Mahathir Mohammed's right-hand man. He, he was the finance minister, then he became uh, deputy prime minister, and so... He, Anwar was the heir apparent. And everything was great until they started having disagreements on policy. Anwar starts speaking out against cronyism and corruption. And then suddenly he's thrown in jail and convicted of corruption and sodomy. He was criminally accused of being gay. Yeah, and another charge against him was interfering in the police investigation of the allegations that he was gay. Because I guess denying... <laughs> the allegation that you're gay counts as interfering with the police investigation. This is so fucked up. Anwar <laughs> is banned from politics for 10 years, does his jail time, he gets out. 10 years! But he rebuilds and he regroups and he gets elected to parliament in 2008 after his ban expires and he becomes the leader of the opposition of Malaysia. And then guess what? Brand new allegations are brought against him for, do you want to take a guess? It was sodomy. So, <laughs> now, he's, he fights those charges for about four years. He's acquitted in 2012. But, obviously, it keeps him very busy fighting for his freedom. And just months after Ibrahim's opposition party won its biggest victory, guess what happened? A Malaysian court has overturned the acquittal of opposition leader Anwar Ibrahim on sodomy charges, upholding a government appeal. I'm shocked. Shocked to find sodomy charges in this country. Mr. Anwar led the opposition to its strongest ever performance in the May 2013 general elections. While homosexual acts are illegal in Muslim-majority Malaysia, very few people are ever prosecuted. Mr. Anwar has always maintained the charges were part of a political smear campaign. No. You think it was part of a smear campaign? I love how they slipped that little tidbit in there. That very few people are ever actually prosecuted for sodomy. You know, it's just Anwar. So that just happened in, in March of 2014. 
just hours before the plane takes off and disappears. So how's this for a crazy plane conspiracy? The pilot was a fervent supporter of Anwar Ibrahim, and he may have even been related to him. Through marriage. This particular speculation holds that Shah, a member of Anwar's party, was so distraught at him being sentenced again in a politically motivated court hearing that he entered the cockpit of Flight 370 that night with evil intentions. No matter there's been no evidence at all to support any of this. Mm-hmm. And the person who's pushing that theory... Could it be Prime Minister Najib? These movements are consistent with deliberate action by someone on the plane. This is classic. I don't think the Prime Minister is bungling the investigation. I think he's using this investigation to smear his primary opposition. This is a, this is a campaign stop for him. So he started off by making fun of all the conspiracy theories, and now... Now, and now I've come up with my own conspiracy theory <laughs> about why Prime Minister Najib is handling this so badly. Okay, so here's Anwar Ibrahim addressing the conspiracy with poor Christian Amanpour. He is Anwar's son's wife's mother's father's brother's son. Your son's wife's mother's <laughs> brother's you know, that sounds very familiar. Before you die, there is something you should know about us, Lone Star. What? I am your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. What's that make us? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Spaceballs! You know, my former roommate at NYU was Malaysian. Well, that makes you about as related to the pilot as Anwar. <laughs> I didn't think it was possible, but you're right. Dark Helmet's connection is more direct and less convoluted than whatever Christiana Amanpour was talking about. Look, to be fair to the crazy conspiracy I just made up about <laughs> Prime Minister Najib, Anwar Ibrahim did have a connection to the pilot. What my daughter-in-law told me is that uh, he, he is a family member, not too close, but uh, he, she calls him uncle, which is quite common here. And look, I know my conspiracy that I just made up sounds crazy, but it is possible that the Malaysian prime minister may have been more concerned about drumming up fear and tying his political opponent to the tragedy than in trying to really solve this mystery. I will grant you this. Based on what we've learned today about Prime Minister Najib, I, I have to admit that it really might not be that crazy. Maybe what we're missing on the world stage is that the current Malaysian government may also be trying to use this tragedy to settle domestic political disputes. The problem is credibility of the leadership. They are culpable because there is a general perception that they are not opening up. There is a, a, an opaque system at work. Well, that is something that the opposition leader would say, right? Yes, but I do think he brings up a good point, which we haven't really talked about yet. Uh, which is, how do the average Malaysian people feel about their corrupt, seemingly inept government? Well, I don't know. Uh, they're not allowed to say anything. And well, who would, who would say anything over there? People who say things end up dead or, or in jail for sodomy. But all joking aside, the Internet's a beautiful place. I did some digging. It turns out Malaysia has a budding comedy scene. So what do you joke about in a place where you can't talk about anything? These funny men get their jokes from the same place as other comedians. The absurdities of everyday life. 
For Malaysians, much of that involved race. I said, who say Chinese not involved? Who you think sell the T-shirt? Race is something in Malaysia that is uh, that we talk about, and no one really calls you out as being racist. You just you just acknowledging the fact that there are a lot of races here. So race, right? And so it's really interesting. The thinking is that these comedians have found a way to talk about race in a state with multi-ethnic tension uh, and that they're creating sort of a post-racial comedy under an autocratic regime that squashes discourse. Hey, y'all, my cheeks. Hey, where my cheeks at? Hey, stay yellow, my fellows. Woo! Or maybe it's still just racist. <laughs> Cancel Malaysia. Yeah, let's get that hashtag trending. <laughs> It is interesting that these things uh, being said are apparently not considered racist in Malaysia. I don't know. Maybe it provides another explanation for some of this insanity. Oh, well, now who's coming up with their own crazy (laughs) conspiracy theories about Malaysia? In Malaysia, they apparently don't find that kind of speech as incendiary as we do. Uh, But of course, if a comic in Malaysia veers too close to a sensitive subject like politics, they get a call from the special branch. Yeah, the special branch of the government calls and says, here's a new punchline for your joke. Stop telling it or (laughs) make it so you can't tell jokes anymore, right? This is is true, though. No, it's absolutely true. We'll call them and tell them not to joke about that anymore. So maybe before we get a call from the special branch, we should wrap things up here. Yeah. Seriously, we better get out of here because this is Malaysia town. Forget it, Kev. It's Malaysia town. Cancel WTFAW. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Listen, we want to give a few thank yous. Thank you, Shelly Lewis, Stacy, for designing our logo, Barry, and Greg Russ, our sound engineer. Greg Russ, baby. Thanks to all of you, our loyal listeners, for listening to us. If you have questions or comments, tweet at us. We're on Twitter, at WTFAW Show, at Kevin Janis, and I'm at Benari Lee. Yeah, we're at WTFAWshow.tumblr on Tumblr, and you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on iTunes under WTFAW. So please subscribe. Yeah, and give us a nice five-star review on iTunes while you're at it. (laughs) We went from cancel WTFAW to, hey, give us a five-star review. It's one or the other. (laughs) I'm Kevin Janis. I'm Benari Poulton. Please join us next time when we try to figure out where the fuck are we? (laughs) 